Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show and welcome to the madness of March. It is upon us. There's going to be a lot of basketball that we are all watching over the next few days. If you'd like to take your mind off things for a brief moment, you know, and just read a nice essay or two, why don't you head on over to chrisrawl.com? I have some stuff up there that I personally have written. I think it's good. It pertains to sports and my love for that. Uh, and it also has every episode of this show up there, has my Twitter, has my Facebook, all that kind of stuff. So www.chrisrawl.com, if you're interested in that. Now we move on to today's episode where I talk about the structure of March Madness, why it works, and the relevance of this one and done format to other sports. I'm very excited to announce that March Madness is officially here. I'm recording this show right before the first games are about to tip. My heart is beating fast. I'm nervous. It has nothing to do with this show and everything to do with all of the money that I have laid out that I most certainly will have lost within the next four days. But I'm very excited because while college basketball is not my favorite sport, the first four days of the NCAA tournament is as good as it gets as a viewing product. It's phenomenal. Single game elimination, crazy upsets. It's teams battling for their lives. Just you see the investment. Obviously, the gambling aspect throws a whole new element uh, on top of all of this kind of stuff that you mix together. It's a really incredible, exciting cocktail. And it's basketball around the clock for four straight days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just again and again and again and again. It is phenomenal. And everybody loves it. You know, it's up there with the Super Bowl for the other sporting event that just kind of everybody gets into in one way, shape, or form. Even if it's as simple as just filling out a bracket in your office pool. But I have so many people that don't care about sports or anywhere near have the the passion that I do or you do or, or people who follow sports closely. And, you know, they'll come up and talk about, oh, I got... Tennessee in my bracket, how's yours doing? And I'm always kind of amazed that this many people are able to follow March Madness. Now, this kind of raises an interesting point in my mind that I want to unravel over the course of this episode. We talk about the structure of March Madness, why I think it works so well, uh, how it draws in so many people, and then kind of expanding that out into other sports. Uh, in the ways that they want to mimic it, the ways that they have to be different and circle to the very end to college football and talk about the postseason format there and, and kind of my thoughts on why there is a difference between college basketball and college football in people's love for the postseason. So I'll start here on a point that I will pretty much maintain until I die, which is that I think the vast majority of sports fans don't actually care if the season or if the playoffs determine who the best team actually is. I think what people care about, and I include myself in this, is entertainment. I think that's a really simple idea. And if we truly think about it and are honest with ourselves, I think most of us will arrive at that point where I don't care at the very end of something if it determined the best team. I just want to see, give me the best amount of games. Many good games as you can give me, feed it to me. I think that's why March Madness checks the boxes for passionate fans and for just casual observers. I think that's why everybody loves it, uh, even though very rarely does it reward and crown the best team from the entire season. March Madness, it's about 
throwing out that larger sample size in favor of one game elimination electricity. Again, a huge draw. I love it. I personally love it. That's why I can jump in in March Madness. And even if I haven't followed the regular season very closely, especially this opening weekend, these first four days when basketball is going and going and going just nonstop, it makes such an incredible viewing experience. That's why I love it so much. And I'm thinking back over the past, let's say, decade or so, and there's so many incredible things that have occurred within March Madness. You know, I'm thinking back to Brad Stevens at Butler. I'm remarking in my mind, I can't believe that team made two national title games, the Butler Bulldogs. Granted, one of them was the worst title game I can ever remember, the 2011 UConn-Butler rock fight that was 53-41, UConn ends up winning. And it was about as rocky as a rock fight can be. But it also gave us the 2010 Duke-Butler-David Goliath matchup that you could never, ever in a million years get in any other sport. And not only did we get that, it came down to that Gordon Hayward shot at the buzzer that very nearly banked in from about half court that would have won the game and probably been the greatest moment in the history of sports. Both those games, they're, they're title games, but the runs are what stood out more than anything. Uh, Butler running through the tournament the first time in 2010, I'm just going, I can't believe this. And then the very next year, following it up, even without Hayward and going back to the title game. Another title game moment, the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater for Villanova against North Carolina in 2016. That's something that, you know, nobody's really going to forget. Two years later, you have the probably the biggest, well, not probably, by seeding the biggest upset in the history of college basketball when UMBC beat Virginia in 2018. First time a 16 has ever beaten a one. The only time a 16 has ever beaten a one. That was incredible at the time. And again, something that could literally never happen in another sport because professional sports, there's not that big of a talent discrepancy. You will never get that as you would have with UMBC in Virginia. And in college football, you never have the opportunity in a playoff setting for a team that is that outmatched to play against one of the best teams in the nation. And to Virginia's credit, part of their story was bouncing back from the UMBC loss. And everybody's saying, Tony Bennett, he can't actually win at all in the postseason. And his system's great in the regular season. They're turning out all these 25-plus win regular seasons, but they just fall flat, and they'll never win anything. Next year, they bounce back. They win the title. Another little uh, reminder that everyone agrees you can't win until you win. And then, oh, yeah, Tony Bennett's a great coach, and his system can obviously win. Those are national title stories, and they're interesting, and I remember them. but. The things that stand out most vividly about March Madness and what I think gives it that added burst and that really unique flavor that other sports cannot give, it's the underdog stuff. Butler would be a good example, but even beyond that, when I say George Mason, everybody knows, okay, I remember when that team ran to the Final Four, that was insane. Or VCU with Shaka Smart or Florida Gulf Coast. Just these universities that no one would ever in a million years know about. But March Madness brought the best out of them. And they had their Cinderella run to whatever round they made it to. And then they lost. And we all agree that was the coolest thing that happened that year. And I promise you, even the most avid fans don't remember who won the national title in most years. But these are the types of stories that you remember with ease. It's the entertainment aspect of March Madness. It's about the upsets. It's about Cinderella. It's about one-and-done format. 
And if you ask people to list the national champions, I, I don't know. I remember Villanova's won a couple, I think. And I remember Virginia. But you go, tell me about some of the upsets that have occurred or some of the buzzer beaters. And, you know, people are just going to be able to rattle them off. That's what March Madness is. I want to read something real quick. It comes from Bill Conley of ESPN, my very favorite muse on college football. But in this case, he's writing about college basketball. Um, and he has some words that I think are applicable to today's show. Here they are. We ask a lot for March Madness. We ask for chaos and earth-shattering early round upsets. We ask for buzzer beaters. We ask for amazing Cinderella runs, but we also ask for the sport's biggest stars to play a role deep into the proceedings. We ask for a memorable cast of characters and a championship game that gives us everything college basketball has to offer. It's almost impossible to provide all of that at once. Early round upsets are amazing, but eliminate some potential star power and often lead to later round blowouts. Chalk can give us later round fireworks, but deprives us of the nonsense we crave in the opening weekend. In the end, we just hope for as much from each bucket as possible. End quote. So let's concentrate on that very last line. We just hope for as much from each bucket as possible, which I agree with. In echoes, uh, philosophy that I abide by in life that I've shared many times on this show. Just kind of focus on the present and go from there, right? Uh, Try to make the best out of whatever's happening in the present moment. And that applies to the way that I watch sports. I've, I've bitched a lot on this show about the NBA in this regular season because it has not checked that box off for me. When I'm sitting down to watch an NBA basketball game, I don't feel like I'm sitting there waiting for entertainment and saying, yeah, it seems like I'm going to get as much out of this game as possible. It actually feels like the exact opposite. Uh, March Madness, it's this to a T. You know, you're going to get sometimes blowouts, sometimes stars eliminated, all that kind of stuff. There's going to be warts. There's going to be a ton of stoppages in the last five minutes of games. There's going to be just refs barfing all over themselves, all that kind of stuff. But you'll also feel justified sitting and watching, hoping for as much from each bucket as possible because Mark Madness is about entertainment. And when it's good, it is good. Now, other sports in various ways, they already lean into it or are leaning into it um, depending upon the sport and channeling that entertainment factor, uh, turning it over to fans and making fans feel like they're justified in sitting and hoping for as much as possible from this game. The NBA playoffs, the regular season, it's, it's falling flat for me. Some people might disagree. Um, the NBA playoffs, it's a different beast from March Madness entirely. I think it cares a lot more about determining who the best team is, period, as evidenced by the fact that they play a best-of-seven series. Uh, expands the sample size, obviously. And most times I feel very good at the end of the season that the NBA playoffs has determined who the best team was. I think most years that is the case. You have exceptions to that, obviously, because there's all sorts of monkey wrenches each year that you can't really plan for. Bucks last year, it's a good example. I'm not sure if the Bucks were actually the best team. I, I probably don't think that they were. If everything went according to plan, whether that was the Nets or the Clippers or the Lakers. You can argue about that for days, but the Bucks took advantage of a COVID year and an injury year, and that's why they're the NBA champions. The Raptors, they also come to mind as a team that I will guarantee was not the best team in basketball that year, but they took advantage of Kevin Durant 
going down with an Achilles and then Clay Thompson blowing his knee out and the Golden State Warriors dynasty coming to an end at the hands of Kawhi and Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and those guys. They were the deserving NBA champions in that year. Now, those are exceptions to the rule because, again, most years it feels right. The end of the season, they're handing over the O'Brien trophy and I'm going, yeah, the Warriors, they're the best team in basketball or the Heat and LeBron, yeah, they're the best or Spurs and Tim Duncan, yeah, the best. Kobe, Shaq, and Lakers. There's a bunch of examples in the last, actually since the NBA's existed, but in my sports watching lifetime. Jordan and the Bulls, you get the picture. Now, the NBA, more so than March Madness, they care about determining the correct champion. I'll say that in air quotes, but I think the NBA is also starting to lean a little bit more into the entertainment aspect and saying, ah, we're willing to dilute the field a little bit because we want a piece of that pie that March Madness has really kind of uh, perfected the recipe for. Entertainment, 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 what fans crave. That kind of leads us into the NBA plan, which if you're thinking about in terms of determining the most uh, deserving champion, it doesn't matter. There's nothing there that those people should not be allowed in. we shouldn't have the nine and the 10 squabbling to make it in the eight, seven and the eight. I, I don't care. Those teams have proven over the course of the regular season, they should not be involved in the chase for an NBA championship. I feel very comfortable saying that, but the NBA doesn't care in this instance. And they said, this will make us more money and this will create a one and done type format. Sound familiar? And it has nothing to do with determining the best team, it has everything to do with entertainment. And to the NBA's credit, so far, playing has done a phenomenal job. We had it last year for the very first time, and Lakers versus Warriors was about as memorable of a game period as we got in the playoffs at all. Ron hits that huge three that ends up winning the game. And this year, we're staring down the barrel of teams that have just been bogging around the regular season and going to be entertaining when we get it. The Lakers, the shit show that they are, but in one and done stuff, it's LeBron and that's going to be fun. And the Brooklyn Nets on the other side, their season's been a total shit show. But if in some weird world they can somehow be healthy and Kyrie can be allowed to play, I mean, that team is about as dangerous as you can find. There's going to be interesting storylines and it's always fun and entertaining when it's a one game elimination format. Look at the NFL which is kind of perfect. Well, yeah, I would say perfected. The one-game elimination format because they don't have the the huge field that March Madness does that increases the volatility and maybe doesn't determine best champion. But in the NFL, where every team is so close in talent and execution, all that kind of stuff, the margins are just tiny. It's all I talk about ever when I talk about the NFL. Even in the NFL, they saw the money and they saw the entertainment and they said, Ah, we're okay with diluting our playoff field a little bit more. We're okay with expansion, which they did last year for the first time. Has nothing to do with crowning the most deserving champion. By opening up the playoff field on both sides and saying, we'll include another 8-18 and or another 9-7 and team, or 9-8 and now, I guess we're 17-game season, but has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with money, good for them. And for us, has everything to do with entertainment, good for us. I, I like to be entertained. I like watching one-and-done football games. It's very fun for me to be able to be a part of that. 
even if the cost is adding a little more randomization to the proceedings, as will definitely be the case in the NFL. I'm sure over the next while, we're going to get one of these barfy tail end football teams come in at nine and seven, and they're going to make a huge run and win a Super Bowl, presumably, just like we've seen in the past in a smaller playoff field, like we saw with the Giants and Eli Manning, like we saw with uh, the Packers in their lone Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers when they came in right at the tail end as a wild card team and won all their road games and won the Super Bowl. You can get that all the time in the NFL. Uh, the NFL format, it, it does a good balance between crowning a, de- uh, a deserving champion, but also giving the most entertaining possible product that you could ever find. Doesn't always determine the best team. You know, I don't think that, I don't think the Rams were the best team last year. I feel comfortable saying that. You looked at the large sample size and you pulled every NFL fan and just said, if all things were equal and everybody's ready and healthy and available, I'd make a case for the Bucks and the Packers in their conference over the Rams. I could make a case for the Chiefs and the Bills on the opposite side. But the Rams, they're the deserving champion because they survived what the NFL says. This should be how the Super Bowl champion is determined. You survived it. Great. Go on. The NHL playoffs, again, I think they tap into the idea that fans care more about entertainment than who actually wins the championship. I really do believe that. The NHL playoffs are so random, it sometimes just, it boggles the mind. And come down to hot goaltending, comes down to just bounces the puck, referee calls, all that kind of stuff. But even understanding that it can be incredibly random, for my money, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the best playoffs in professional sports every single year. They're scintillating. They are addictive. They are an adrenaline rush. Every single year, without a doubt, that is what the Stanley Cup playoffs are. Does it determine the best team every season? Not really. But it taps into what March Madness is. Madness. Uh, and also provides a field of teams that we know are good at hockey and we know in hockey the margins are tiny so every single year you get in the playoffs and you can make a pretty good case for virtually any team winning the Stanley Cup. You got the big upsets that March Madness taps into. I'd look three years ago. Uh, walk with me back to Tampa Bay Lightning losing to the Columbus Blue Jackets in round one. Biggest NHL upset that I personally can remember. It's not the biggest via gambling odds but Oh my gosh, I never in a million years would have guessed this. Columbus, to their credit that year, they have all their stars approaching an offseason where they're unrestricted free agents, Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky and Matt Duchesne. And instead of shedding them off at the trade deadline and recouping a bunch of assets, they're just, they say, let's just let it ride. We've never won a playoff series in the history of our franchise. This team's, I mean, those are really good players, but... Let's just go to the playoffs and see what happens. It's the NHL playoffs. It's random. Things can happen that defy logic in a way you don't really get in the NBA playoffs, which is also a best-of-seven format. The regular season that year, Tampa, one of the best teams I've ever watched in my life. Tampa had 128 points that season, which was 21 clear of the next closest team. An astounding stat. They tied the 96 Red Wings for the most wins in a regular season in NHL history with 62. They were four points shy of the best season in NHL history, which is the 1977 Montreal Canadiens. They had 132 points. Again, 
one of the very best hockey teams I've ever watched in my entire life. And then they get in the playoffs and the pressure's ratcheted up and a randomization is there and Columbus gets some goaltending and they get some bounces and Tampa blows a 3-0 lead in the first game and the next thing you know, Tampa's getting swept. They lose 4-0 in that series. Truly amazing, even in retrospect, that that occurred. Especially knowing now that Tampa, which has been the best team in hockey for years, ended up winning the Stanley Cup the last two years after this particular uh, sweep. Now, just to give you a quick sense of, A, the best team really doesn't win a ton in hockey. They don't win the Stanley Cup. But B, that's okay, and people are okay with that because the entertainment is off the charts. I want to give you some gambling stuff that I believe really illustrates this point very well. Because Tampa in that series was a minus 425 favorite for the series. Uh, You'd have to bet $425 to win 100 is what that means. Heavy favorites. Uh, For context, you will not see stuff like that very often in the NHL in a playoff series. Uh, Actually, almost never. It's very rare you'll see something like that. You get a minus 200 favorite in a playoff series in the NHL. That's huge. That's heavy. Not like the NBA, where you can get minus 5,000 favorites in a series because it's the one versus the eight. Now, the last time that a series was priced that high in the NHL, so 2019, minus 425 favorite Tampa Bay, lose the series outright in a sweep. The last time that a series was priced that high was 2010. The Penguins. They were minus 430 favorites against the Montreal Canadiens. So nine years prior. Now, why I bring that up is because nine-year gap, but also the Penguins lost that series to the Montreal Canadiens. Another case in point of, yeah, just upsets happen. It's like March Madness. Pressure's up. Margins are small. Hockey is random. And it is phenomenal viewing experience. The time before that, what was the, the big thing? Well. Same year, Capitals, they're enormous favorites. Minus 645. I've never seen a playoff series priced that high. I tried to look around and see if I could find a bigger one. I couldn't, but there's not a ton of data on that. But the Capitals are minus 645 against Montreal in round one of that year, and they lost. This is when Montreal just got white hot, and Yaroslav Halak went out of his mind. But you get the point. These huge favorites are appearing in playoff series in Stanley Cup playoffs. And much like March Madness, the huge draw is that anybody's got a chance in this. Not like the NBA playoffs. You can distill it down to five-ish teams every year at the start of the playoffs that you say, only these teams can win the championship. Hockey, the field is wide open. I mean, look at the 2012 Kings. They're the all-time example of the randomization of hockey, but also the fact that that randomization leads to really cool stories and really fun, enjoyable hockey for pretty much everybody. 2012 Kings, they win the Stanley Cup as an eight seed. You would never see that ever in basketball. Um, the LA Kings, they're, I mean, they were, they tapped into what the playoffs are about, which is you get a couple players on your forward unit and defense unit playing at an incredibly high level for them. You know, it's Dustin Brown is great. Anze Kopitar was great. Drew Doughty was great. But really, you just get the white hot goaltender. In this case, it was Jonathan Quick who for that playoff run, he's got a 1.4 goals against. He's got a .946 save percentage, just astronomical stats. He gets white hot. He's pretty much unconscious for their entire playoff run. 
And the Kings just burned through everybody. They're an eight seed. They end up only losing four games, period, during their playoff run. So they win four series. They lose four games. 16 and four. It's crazy stuff. But again, this feeds into what is phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal television. All of this stuff that I was talking about. I remember that Canadians run well. It was awesome. Kings run. Awesome. When the best teams are winning, I still think it's awesome. Whether that's the Lightning the last couple of years or some of those Blackhawks teams or date back further with the Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, Red Wings. It's still awesome. No matter what you get out of the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's always awesome. That's why I say this is the best playoffs in sports because it's just consistent entertainment no matter what is happening. Upsets, great. Chalk, great. Doesn't matter. Hockey taps into entertainment value, which is what I want, which is what I think everybody wants. MLB playoffs, they have the same type of randomization, but just on a less egregious level. Rather than the white hot goaltender, it's just what is your pitching in the playoffs? And if you tap into that at the right time, you can burn through everybody and win the World Series. You get players going out of their minds with their bats, same type of thing. It's not necessarily about determining who the best team was over the course of the entire season. It's just we want entertainment here and baseball, when the pressure's on, it's enjoyable to watch. And it doesn't really matter that you can get a team like the Braves winning the World Series last year who, entering the playoffs, had the worst regular season record on the NL side. doesn't matter. Nobody really cared about that. Nobody sat there feeling bad about that at the end of the year. We just said, this is a cool run. This is, this is cool. Because we just want entertainment. I don't think we actually care as much as maybe some people want to say on television. I don't think we care as much about who is ultimately crowned champion as we do about tapping into what Bill Conley is talking about. Entertainment in the present. What can this thing give to me right here, right now? Now, I've discussed everything except for college football. Because I think college football is interesting to examine compared to college basketball. Because I think college football looks at March Madness and looks at Stanley Cup playoffs. Says, ooh, that is sweet. And people get into that. And it provides a lot in the present moment. And how can we kind of channel that for our viewers? And that's partially why the college football playoff has been devised. Um, And that's why I think the college football playoff continues to be talked about or expansion, 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 again, 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 again. That's the main discussion that pertains to on-field college football stuff. There's a lot of off-the-field things, but on the field, what everybody wants to talk about is when are we going to expand? How much are we going to expand? And once we expand, how long before we expand that? And after that, how long before we expand that? And so on and so forth. Because I think a lot of people look at March Madness and say, college football should have that, and that would be really cool. Now, this is where... I get to the point where I push back because I say, okay, in college basketball, it's very evident that the number one reason the tourney exists is for entertainment purposes and kudos to it because it does a hell of a job. That's exactly what it sets out to do. Not about determining the best champion. It is about giving us the best viewing experience possible. Now, there is a difference between every sport that I have talked about so far and college football in one-game formats that you know the entire season is riding on the line. In all the professional sports, the talent is comparable. Once you get to the end of the season, even the worst team against the best team, the talent is comparable at a professional level. But when you get in the playoffs, 
and now you're shaking up the snow globe and it's the very best teams. All of these teams have talent. They're all very close in that particular area. College basketball is the one that that's not the case. Now, basketball is different from football because when there is a big talent discrepancy in basketball, college basketball, as you're going to see over the next four days, you can shrink the margins in a one-game scenario in basketball. A three-point shot, great place to start. A lot of randomization, a lot of ability to just throw a monkey wrench into the proceedings in one game. Slowing down the pace, exact same kind of thing. Team like St. Mary's, they're masters of it. Just deflate the ball, shrink the amount of possessions that both teams have, thus increasing the importance of each possession, thus increasing the volatility of the game. Hope that the refs call a lot of fouls. That's another one. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that you can do within basketball. So when the pressure's on in one game scenario, even if there's a big talent discrepancy, you can get to the point where it's the second half and there's eight minutes to go and a really good team, Gonzaga or Duke or Kansas is sitting there going, how are we down by two points to this team that if you just lined us up and said, who's better at basketball, we would check every single box across the board. There's no one on this roster that's better than us. But that's the name of the game in college basketball. You can shrink that. What's different on the college football side is that's not the case when you know everything is on the line. You envision a format more comparable to what March Madness is, really big expanded field. When you know that the season is on the line, well, you're going to have the same style of talent discrepancies that you have in college basketball. You'll have that same thing in football. But it's a lot harder to shrink the margins in a one-game scenario where both teams are as motivated and are and focused as they can possibly be. They know it's a playoff game. They know the season is on the line. And if you're lining up Alabama against South Carolina, it doesn't work the same way that it does in college basketball because the team with more talent can just physically overwhelm the opposition. They're focused, they're motivated, and they're say, we're just going to blow you off the ball every single play on both sides. And yeah, there's going to be some randomization, special teams, turnover luck, referees, weather, all that kind of stuff. But when the talent discrepancy is this big in football, you get a lot of Alabama games that are 55 to 10. I mean, think of any Alabama game over the last decade plus with Saban and you understand the picture. That's where I think this is different. And that's where I think college football is really, really missing the mark. Just a horse that I'm going to beat until, well, the horse is dead. I'm going to continue beating a dead horse. And then once I beat it too much, I'll go and find another one. But I'm confused that every sport is able to understand the concept of entertainment and understand the concept of the most important thing might not necessarily be determining the correct champion. The most important thing might be providing what people want, given the most that they can possibly be given in the present. And so with that in mind, I cycle back to the thing I'm always constantly preaching with college football, which we're going the exact opposite way. It's all expansion, all expansion, all expansion. And I go, well, but wait, what is more entertaining? Just somebody please explain this to me. Is it what we used to have when there was no playoff period, which was a season-long playoff? It was the best regular season in sports, bar none. There was nothing that even sniffed it. You're having games that affect the national title race at the start of September and every single week moving forward. It was phenomenal. It did not correctly choose the national champion every year. but. From an entertainment perspective, it was the best. Is that more entertaining or where we are and where we're headed, which is compared to the past, a relatively meaningless regular season 
followed by an even more expanded playoff where you're increasing the field. You're serving up more fodder to the Alabamas and the Georgias and Ohio States and Clemsons of the world that have enormous, enormous amounts of talent on their roster. And compared to their peers, just an enormous discrepancy. What's more entertaining between those two things? I, I, I feel like it's black and white, cut and dry. Um, but I'm just, I, I seem to be on my own island when I talk about this. Which is why I like bringing it up and why I like tying it into other sports and their formats and saying, I think we all agree with it in every sport, but in college football, we somehow think the exact opposite. I find that to be strange because in my mind, as an entertainment product, nothing can beat a week in, week out playoff. What college football had in the past without an end of season playoff. That's the best entertainment product. I think that has been proven. Where teams that do have a huge talent discrepancy... They can get complacent over the course of a season. It's really hard to get up and motivated for every game when you don't know which game is suddenly going to be tight. When you have a chance for them to be unmotivated or unprepared. All that kind of stuff. And a lesser opponent can take advantage of that compared to a season-end playoff where you're not really going to get that same kind of thing. It becomes significantly harder to do at that point in a legitimate playoff where everyone knows the stakes. There's a very big difference between Alabama and South Carolina playing a sleepy mid-September game that Alabama's favored by four touchdowns in, and then suddenly it's tied in the fourth quarter. There's a very big difference between that particular scenario and Alabama playing South Carolina in a 32-team college football playoff in the first round in December or January, whenever that would be. And Nick Saban all week is going, we must murder this team because our season is on the line and they come out and win by 80. There's a very big difference between those two things. Now, okay, seems like it's not going to happen. Again, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness, but as we watch March Madness, and especially the first weekend, which is March Madness at its absolute finest, I think all of us are going to be going, this is great, this is cool, I love it. All the reasons why we're tuned into this, go back to Bill Conley, he'll tell us. There's so many different areas. But as we're watching that, I would love just the logic to be applied the same way into college football, which, okay, it seems like that won't happen, but college football as a sport, just the people who are involved with making it what it is, they should be doing this. They should be asking one question moving forward in their minds, the question that every other sport including college basketball, has asked and answered. What is the most entertaining version of our sport? <laughs>